And we're back on Honorado and Bagnardi. You can download on iTunes, subscribe, rate it. This one gets a five stars. There's, There's no, no doubt. doubt about it. No we doubt. are joined by ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler here on Honorado and Bagnardi. Tim, cannot tell you how much we appreciate the time. Chris Honorado, Sean Bagnardi, how are you? Gentlemen, I'm doing well. Thank you. It's good to be on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you, you are as busy as it comes. Uh, I know I texted you this. I see and I hear you on every single ESPN platform uh, as the top NBA analyst. Would you say you sleep less now than you did as a player? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would definitely say that's true. At least as a player, you could always look forward to uh, that nice afternoon game day nap. But um, those days are long gone for me. I think the biggest uh, challenge with this time of the year is you know, the, the 1030 games are so important every night on the East Coast. So I'm not doing, I'm not going to bed until those games end, which is at one. Then I got to go do Scott Van Pelt. I do the 1 a.m. Sports Center. Probably, probably turn off the lights about 334 o'clock in the morning most nights wow. during the playoffs. Okay, one more before we get into the playoffs. Do you watch more film now than you did as a player? I think uh, what I do is I probably get to dive into games uh, harder now, like an individual game, than I can during the regular season. And as a player, the film, the film that we watched as a player wasn't anything like it is today. You know, when I played, um, you might watch some team film before a game or on a day off of you know your own team or the or your opponent. But now, with this digital format, I mean, players now have their own iPads and they can just with synergy and these different um, these different uh, platforms that you can use. You can literally go if you're going to guard somebody that night. You can pull up synergy. And you can watch, you know, a hundred possessions of just that player to get an idea for his tendencies and what he likes to do. You can watch yourself on every possession in a game, just back to back to back. So the technology and the advancements of film watching, I envy players today because that's obviously something I love. It's my expertise and what I do now in breaking down film. Um, so to be able to have that technology as a player, I can't imagine how much more that would help you. How many times do you have to watch James Harden before you realize <laughs> you're not going to be able to guard him on the court? <laughs> That's funny because I actually probably did more touchscreens this year on James Harden than any other individual player in all of the 18 years that I've been at ESPN. I can guarantee wow. you that. Um, and it gets, it's funny because I always tell them the same thing, guys, the touch screen is not going to look a lot different tonight. It's, <laughs> it's pretty simple. Like he's going to beat you one of three or four different ways. Um, and we could talk about it. it was it one of my favorite ones I did actually though, was, was, uh, from game one of this series with the, when he was getting hit at the three point line and it was big controversy the next day and after the game, because there were calls that he didn't get in the first half that he probably should have. And then there were calls in this fourth quarter and down the stretch that he didn't get that I thought were good non-calls. And I went to uh, the Legler's Lab, as they call it here at ESPN, they have this thing they've created for me, and I described the difference between the two scenarios, and it really comes down to his feet and his lower body and what he's doing to kick his feet forward and propel them into the defender. So it was actually something a little bit different than what I'm normally doing on him, which is basically just talking about um, how impossible it is to guard him off the dribble um, and, and what he does to you defensively because I don't think there's ever been a player uh, this league has ever seen that's got the combination of handle, shooting, range, and strength. And, and, and also, actually, the fourth layer, that would be passing because if he wasn't a good passer, none of this would be possible. But the fact that he can hit you, Capella for a lob, he can kick out to the corner three, he can throw a pocket pass, 
all of those things, if you do play them perfectly, they're still going to get something good out of it. So really, it's four layers. There's never been a player like him in the history of this league. And I don't think there's another player in our league, by the way, that could pull this off, even if you put him in the same system. Wow. Honorado and Bagnardi uh, here on iTunes. Also, the 104.5 The Team uh, Facebook page every Wednesday. And, of course, 104.5 The Team ESPN Radio. We're talking with ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler. Tim, on Harden, then, after everything you just told us, how shocked were you when you saw he only had three shot attempts last night in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I mean, you know, sh- shocked at this point with some of the other um, games that I've seen James Harden play that were kind of mysterious to me in his postseason career. I can't say I was shocked. I did think the way he's played in this postseason, he was beyond that point where he'd have a moment where we kind of go, where was he? Uh, you know, I... I I refer to the game a couple years ago against San Antonio, um, 2-2 series at home, and San Antonio not having Kawhi, a couple other guys in their starting lineup were not playing. And James Harden proceeded to come out and um, take, I think, one shot in the first 15 or 16 minutes of the game. They were down 20 at halftime. Uh, They went on to lose that series. It was one of the most perplexing games I've ever seen uh, in my life. Because he didn't, it's not like he played poorly. He just didn't show up. He just wasn't in the building. It was a disappearing act. So ever since, I've kind of taken everything with him with a grain of salt. I've always wondered, is that going to happen again in a big moment? And look, it wasn't to that extent last night because he had a pretty darn good game. But once Kevin Durant goes down and they know they've got a chance to go home, potentially with a 3-2 lead and close this series out, Mm. Uh, you would think he would put his stamp all over the last six or seven minutes of that game, and he didn't. I said on on our show yesterday to Sean, you can yell at me for being stupid if I am, but I thought like Harden feels like he's one of the easiest, or should be one of the easiest guys to defend because he's either going to take a step back three or he's going to try to get to the rim with very little in between. Why am I wrong? Well, here's why. Here's why. Um, a couple of reasons. First, the step back three. Now, those are incredibly difficult shots for basically any other human being alive. But for James Harden, somehow, some way, one of the things I marvel about, he has an ability to disregard anybody really in his imminent shooting space, unlike anybody I've ever seen. Now, you, you could say, hey, Steph Curry is the greatest shooter we've ever seen, and he's obviously makes a lot of contested shots, and he's got deep range. But I'm talking about in terms of I'm, I'm lined up against you as a defender, you know that I'm about to take two steps to the right or two steps to the left, shoot this shot. You are going to either close out you know, chest to chest with me or you're going to put your hand right above the ball on my shooting side. Those are typically the ways you're going to defend me. And yet I disregard that you're there to the extent that I can still go through that motion, follow through, concentrate, and make that shot. Um, so to defend that, it seems like it should be easy. It seems like it's exactly the shot you should want just about any other player on earth to take. For James Harden, he's turned that into something that's a very makeable shot. And, and, a, and a look to the extent where teams are now trying to do everything they can to just not let them have that. They'd rather, and it's, it goes against all thinking defensively, what you're taught ever since you were a little kid and you first played the game, to give up penetration, to get literally so high on his left shoulder that you're giving him 10 to 15 of space in front of him. And how many great players do you want to give space to in front of them to go toward the rim? But James Harden, that's what you want to do. And then the other component, I think, is his strength. When he gets you 
when he gets you on his hip or his back, he's so strong with his little subtle, he stops, he hits you with the uh, shoulder in the middle of your chest. He takes his offhand and, 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 and gives you a little shove and a nudge when he wants to step back. He is so strong. It's such an underrated part of his physical makeup that you feel powerless as a defender because you can't stop your momentum. He is dictating to you where your body's allowed to go defensively, and there are just a very few guys that have ever existed that can play that way, particularly with a live dribble. Um, you know, while you're doing that. So, again, just a unique guy. It's, you know, look, that style is not for everybody. Some people that I know well in this industry can't stand watching him play, think it's bad for <laughs> basketball because of the little ball movement that they have. But you cannot help but marvel at his physical attributes and what he's able to pull off knowing what you, he's about to do, or at least you think you know what he's about to do. Well, I appreciate you saying Chris was wrong because I tried telling him that yesterday, but now we have some credibility to it. It comes now from it. a reputable source. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Uh, so let's get into the Warriors then a little bit. Obviously, Kevin Durant going down last night. It looked like it might not be good. We don't know. going to get the MRI today, and we should have some more information. But let's assume an absence here, even if it's for a shorter period of time, and you know, in the immediate with this series against Houston. How does that change things, and can the Warriors kind of become – you know, the 72 and 10 Warriors that they were, you know, without Kevin Durant, can we still see this team maybe change their style and, and beat Houston? Yeah, you know, I think we should be careful in not selling this team short and remember, you know, what they've accomplished even before Kevin Durant got there. And even, you know, in moments since they've had Kevin Durant, um, when on nights he didn't play well and whatnot, but specifically as it relates to Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, that group. Uh, yes, they're capable of doing it. Now, it's not going to be easy against this team because this has been a very physical series. They're, they're, they're allowing an awful lot of contact on the perimeter, holding, bumping, pushing, grabbing, and all of that tends to play into the hands of anybody trying to guard Steph Curry because I think the more physical you can get with him, he's 190, 195 pounds, he is a finesse player, over, and he's obviously incredibly skilled, so he can put it down, he can go by you, he can do things like that. But when you ask a guy that's built that way to, to carry guys around all over the court, and it's being officiated that way, and I think this series will be going forward, that wears him down over the course of a game. And now instead of having Kevin Durant there to close the deal, who can shoot over the top of any great defender, and basically take uncontested shots even when you've played him perfectly because of his length and his release, you don't have that luxury anymore. So now that ball is going to be in the hands of Steph Curry to decide this. And now he's a two-time MVP, and it may sound like silly to question whether he can, but number one, he's a little bit older, he's got a little bit more mileage on him, it's a little bit harder against this specific team and the number of really physical, strong guys they can switch on to him to be able to just go do what he used to do during those MVP years. It's going to be harder. He also hasn't had to do that as much because Kevin Durant's been there. It's like a you know, reference I always give is, you, you know, you take, a, you take an alley cat like Steph Curry was when he was an MVP, and now you make him a house cat because <laughs> Kevin Durant's there, and you've got a nice warm saucer of milk, you've got a nice warm bed to sleep in every night. Well, now you just threw him back out into the alley, and sometimes it's a harder once you've had the luxury of this guy that's this incredible, unstoppable force on your team, you're now asking Steph Curry to revert back to what he was doing several years ago. 
it, it, can he do it? Yeah, he can, and they're going to have to move the ball differently than they have with Kevin Durant on the floor. Um, I think the key was getting through last night, to be honest with you. They got through last night. That had to be an incredible shock to their system, to that building, emotionally, to get through that moment. Now they can take a breath. Even if they lose game six, which I expect them to, they'll be back on Sunday for game seven, and they'll have time to process this and, and get back to what they were before Kevin Durant got there um, to go win one game at home against Houston. It's going to be a really tough task, but I, but I think it is possible. The way you just described it, I'm a house cat. That, that sounds a lot better <laughs> than being an alley cat. That's for sure. Tim well, Lane. look, man, Alec, I've said this about other players in the past. I referred to Chris Bosh as that, and I was wrong. Chris Bosh was a house cat. I'm sorry, was an alley cat in Toronto. He went down to Miami. He became a house cat. You had LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, get your belly rubbed every night, get some catnip, <laughs> enjoying your life, lay by the fireplace. And then LeBron and Dwayne Wade left. And I said, well, what is he now? How is he going to go back to being an, uh, an alley cat? But he actually had a really good year, and, and his production and statistics went back where they were. Kevin Love, another example. He was an alley cat in Minnesota, became a house cat with LeBron. You see, there's a theme here. When you play with LeBron, you become a house cat. <laughs> yeah, in, in Cleveland, he became a house cat, a spot-up three-point shooter, didn't have to go hunt for his food. And now he's back to being an alley cat, and now he had, was hurt, obviously, pretty much all this year. So we'll see if he can revert back to that. But it's not easy once you've relied upon a player like Kevin Durant as much as that, and particularly this postseason, his ability to just answer the call has been unbelievable. And so now let's see what they can do. What, how, how deep can Steph Curry dig and Clay Thompson and these guys, and can they play a brand of basketball that makes Houston have a difficult time catching up to the ball rather than playing a little bit more ISO heavy with Durant? He's the best at breaking down film on TV, and as you can tell just even here, podcast radio form nobody does it like tim legler he's on twitter at legs espn and a quick shout out tim because i know you know him well a legend here in the capital region chuck mack catholic central his son your son played aau who hoops together right and i understand your son ryan's heck of a shooter too yeah we yeah i did i was very fortunate and blessed to have anthony mack come into my life at a time that you know i think he needed us we needed another big-time player of my team at South Jersey, South Jersey Jazz. We were in the Under Armour Association and getting ready to partake of our U-17 year, which is obviously the big year for kids to get recruited. I think Anthony was in the wrong system, wrong place with his AAU program. And I knew the first time I saw him on film and then worked him out how good this kid was. And the team he was playing with had no idea what they had. So I was grateful that he was willing to, to switch and take a look at us. And I – I think I pride myself on what I can do for guys offensively and putting them in places where they can succeed and thrive. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't say enough about him. He became part of our family during that time. Uh, him and my son Ryan, very, very good friends, and, and I've been uh, helping Anthony every way that I can. He started at Wyoming, uh, had some medical issues, and had to redshirt his freshman year. Miami this year, I don't think the year went the way that he would have liked, and I think that there's a lot more there than even they knew. So now he's back into the transfer portal, and we'll see him playing again somewhere pretty soon. But I think Anthony's going to have a phenomenal career at a high level, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. He wants to be a pro, and I, he came to a guy that, that did all those things, and, and I made myself into a player and, and lived out my dream. And So I'm going to try to help him live out his if it's possible. How would Ryan and Anthony do against their two pops? 
Well, I never saw Chuck shoot a basketball, so I don't know. But he looks like he'd set a hell of a screen. Uh, yes, he would. So if Chuck, if Chuck was was playing with me, we were playing a two on two game. I I would guarantee you, I'd be running a lot of that high ball screen that James Harden is. I think Chuck would take care of business. But um, you know, Ryan, yeah, my son can really shoot it. He's got great range, can light it up. Anthony can as well. But the difference is between guys like that and me is they would not be anywhere near prepared for my trash talking during the shooting competition. <laughs> you'd be in their head. You'd have the game one before it started. I would be in their bubble so quick they would just start waving the white flag about five shots in. You see the difference between a guy who played in the 90s yeah. and a guy playing now. It is a different world. Uh, Tim, want to hit, hit you with a couple of quick uh, potential free agent th- things here before we do let you go. On Honorado and Bagnardi, uh, the 104.5 The Team ESPN Radio Facebook page every Wednesday afternoon, of course, 104.5 The ESPN uh, Radio Station, uh, and here on iTunes as well. Um, you were 50, you shot 52 52% one year in the league. Do you ever think, man, I would have made a killing in today's NBA? Oh, of course. I mean, I think, you know, well, to be honest with you, two, two things, really, I think about. One is that year you're talking about, I led the league in three-point percentage. I also won the three-point shootout at the All-Star game that same season. And having gone through Europe and the CBA and fighting and battling and getting cut in 10-day contracts and finally – you know, I had success in Dallas and Golden State, and then I end up in Washington. My big breakthrough year was that year. I tore three ligaments in my knee, I think the 81st game of the season that year. So here I am getting ready to hit the summer, getting ready to hit free agency, having that kind of season, and I had a devastating knee injury that really changed the course of my career. I was only 29 years old when that happened. I played four more years. I can honestly tell you I never came close to the same, and I think – so I wish, in some ways, if that injury happened today, the procedure's better, the rehab is better, everything's less invasive, you come back and you get back to your old self. It was a little bit different in the mid-'90s. You know, it was like a 50-50 proposition, and I, I had a hard time. I had six more operations on that knee. I never really got it back. So that's one thing I do, re- I do feel bad about, because I think the legacy of the last probably seven, eight years of my career would have been very similar to that year, but I didn't get that. And that that's just something that, yeah, it bothers me a little bit. And the other thing is, yeah, just the, the money associated with today being a shooter and the way the league looks, by the way, just teams taking 30 and 43-point shots a night. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the team, I think the number one team in the league in attempts, the year I did that was like 16 to 18 mm. a game. Mm. That's that's a quarter for the Rockets. I mean, that, right. you know, think think about how different. So, what, so from that standpoint, Every three you take is a good shot, and that wasn't the case when I played. Even for guys like me, taking that early one pass up the floor three, like in a transition situation, that shot was considered a bad shot when I played. Now you see ten of those a quarter for between the two teams. So, yeah, there's, I just was born 20 years too early. I think that's, that's what it comes down to, but I'm blessed because I was able – to find another calling and, and stay associated with the game and have a good career here. And I have another aspiration. I'd love to be a college coach eventually, and oh, nice. hopefully I can make that dream come true as well. Love so, that. Chris, you know, Tim just said he led the league in three-point shooting and won the three-point shootout this, that year. You know who did that this year? Joe Harris. My man, Joe Harris. Sean's a big Nets fan, Huge, Tim, diehard so Nets him. fan. We want to ask <laughs> yeah, you about Joe, Joe's, a good, Joe's a good story. I think there's a similar path there. Hopefully he can stay healthy, unlike I was able to. Yeah, so Brooklyn – the Knicks, two, free, max slots. two max slots, free agency destination here. 
If Durant does leave, what do you think is the best fit for him? As he's obviously the name everybody's kind of targeting here, even obviously before the injury, but he he's the big name no matter what. Well, listen, anywhere Kevin Durant goes is going to be a perfect fit because, you know, you're talking about just um, one of the most lethal scorers that this league's ever seen. Uh, so anywhere he goes, you're, you're instantly elevated to a contender. I don't, I don't care where that is. I mean, and I don't think, by the way, I don't think he'd go to New York unless he knew specifically another star player was coming. Like, I don't think Kevin Durant at this stage of his career wants to go from, you know, perennial winner in Oklahoma City, a conference final team, a final team early in his career, to what he's just gone through three straight, you know, potentially with, with this team. And, and then you go to New York by yourself and try to then lift this franchise up from the ground in your early 30s. I don't know that that's something that Kevin Durant's going to have the appetite for unless he knows something, as in Kyrie's going to join him there. Um, so that, that's something to look out for. Brooklyn, yeah, Brooklyn to me, I love their coaching. I love their grit. I love their toughness. I love the stories of their individual players. Those guys play with an edge. They're fun to watch. But obviously they're missing one thing, like to have that big-time elite guy that can score against any defense. That's what they're lacking, and particularly on the wing. And so he'd be a great fit there as well. I personally have not heard Kevin Durant and Brooklyn linked in any stories. It seems to me it's always been about the Knicks primarily. I think the Clippers come up once in a while as well. But anywhere he ends up, I mean, that becomes the story. Tim Legler with us here. Tim, one more thing and another chance to prove me wrong here. I said on yesterday's show, I think if you get Kawhi Leonard in free agency, it's just as good as Kevin Durant. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I would agree with that. Uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard is playing the best basketball of his career right now. Uh, you know, I thought I knew how good he was until I saw him in this postseason. Um, you know, you, this guy has his skill level now and his shot making and his touch in his mid-range game. Uh, I think he's the best mid-range shooter in the NBA. Uh, he also obviously is incredibly impactful defensively. But his strength off the dribble and his inability for you to make him off balance at any point, he is completely controlling this series against Philly and the postseason very similarly, honestly, to the, what James Harden is doing in Houston. It's just more efficient. Um, so, no, I don't think that is crazy talk. And, and, yeah, he's another guy. His name comes up. I mean, obviously everybody's going to be in the sweepstakes for Kawhi Leonard if he decides to leave. I, I personally think, knowing his personality type and knowing that city and the franchise and some of the comforts of playing there as opposed to a place like New York or Los Angeles, uh, for a guy like Kawhi who wants to just go out and play and do his thing and doesn't want to deal with all of the nonsense with the media – I think he's in a really good place in a city that really appreciates that team. If they get to the finals or they potentially win a championship, I'm very much of the belief that that's a 50-50 proposition and maybe greater than that to stay in Toronto. And I personally would love to see him stay there because I think it's a, I think it's a great fit. But some people think he's got his mind made up that he's headed to Los Angeles. Are they good enough to beat Milwaukee? We don't want to assume anything yet. Their series isn't over with Philly. But are they good enough to take down Giannis and the Bucks the way he's playing and the way that team is playing right now? Yeah, that's a, that's got six or seven written all over it. Yeah. I do think I've been saying probably since mid-January that the Bucks are the best team in the East and it's their year. And I and I've obviously nothing to see that would dispel that in this series against Boston. Um, 
Giannis, that game one, he, he looked really tight. I think he was putting a tremendous amount of pressure on himself because it was the Celtics. They beat them last year. Um, and everybody knows you know, he's under the microscope now. It's, it's him. And he, I thought he was really tight, and that's why the Celtics got a game. After that, once he caught his breath, about midway through the second quarter of game two, he's been unstoppable ever since. And then when you watch the way that team plays, the way they move the ball, the way they defend, and then I think this is a really key component. The way those guys follow their best player, they absolutely love him as a teammate. That goes a long way, and you can just ask the Boston Celtics. They have the exact opposite situation, and you see what a train wreck their season became at the end. This team's got it all, and they also have the best coach in the Eastern Conference, Mike Budenholzer. So the Bucks are the best team, but Toronto with Kawhi Leonard and, and, and depth and, again, a, tough, a tough-minded group, that's got six or seven games written all over, and I'm really looking forward to that series. Tim, indulge me if you would. Can you tell me your best shooting story? Like if I just dropped you blindfolded onto the court in Washington and pointed you in the direction of the rim, could you have made a shot? Did you do something like in practice that nobody saw that you can share with us that you're like, man, I'm, I'm pretty darn good at this thing? I got a few. I got a few. I'll, I'll give you one from high school. I, I made 177 straight free throws. Oh. Um, <laughs> In practice, and you know, the only witness to that is my high school basketball coach. We were really two there because I typically stayed at least an hour after uh, to shoot. And I always used to tell my I wasn't allowed to leave the gym until I made twenty in a row. Hmm. And one day I just kept going, and I you know, go until I miss, and I got up to one hundred seventy-seven straight. Uh, so that would be one good one, I think. Um, but one of my favorites is my idol as an athlete, and in basketball is Larry Bird. That that's the guy that I think in a lot of ways changed the course of my life because I was a big-time baseball player. I never really played basketball till about 13, 14 years old. That was exactly when Larry Bird was coming into the NBA. And I grew seven inches in a very short period of time, and I decided to try basketball, but I wanted to be Larry Bird. So he's my guy. And right at the tail end of his career, I was in training camp in Washington, and I uh, and it was the first time I was in training camp in Washington. I ended up getting cut from them, and I ended up playing four years for them later in my career. But early in my career, I was cut. Larry Bird was playing for the Celtics. He was winding down his career. Larry Bird famously would go out on the court and shoot well before everyone else. I did the same thing. So here we are in an exhibition game. I don't. Rem- I think it might have been in Hartford, Connecticut. We are out there shooting. It's just the two of us. And he's on one end, and I'm on the other end. So now I kind of make my way down to his end of the court. It's just a couple of ball boys and the two of us, and we're just shooting, alternating from different spots on the floor, and it's just swish after swish after swish after swish, one at a time. No words being spoken. (laughs) I don't even know. He's so locked in. I don't even know if he's paying attention to what I'm doing. But as he leaves the court to walk to the locker room, he walks past me, and he just goes, pretty good shooting and then just kept on walking man and that kind of made that kind of made my life to hear that from a guy like that you know that he was actually acknowledging the fact that my balls were going in at a pretty high rate as well so i thought that was a pretty cool story i'm getting chills listening to that yeah that's awesome it's the greatest sound in sports is is a a clean swish it's the greatest sound in sports. well and and especially in a big empty arena it it echoes so it makes that that snap noise you know that that we all love um and so that was definitely a pretty cool moment. But I tell you what, I used to get in some shooting battles at practice in Washington with Brent Price and Mark Price and mm-hmm. uh, the Price brothers and myself. We came up with all kinds of shooting games. And then we'd go long periods of time sometimes between misses between the three of us. 
Incredible. The nicest sound sports is Larry Bird saying that, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's not bad either. Again, on Twitter, uh, at Legs ESPN. You find him everywhere on ESPN. Tim, uh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate the time here. Uh, we love enjoying your work on ESPN. As great an analyst as, as you were a shooter and are a shooter, shooting never leaves anybody. Uh, but I hope there's a, a game day nap in here for you somewhere in the future. <laughs> yeah, you know, at this time of the year, I just plug through plow ahead and i think about my uh my beach house at the jersey shore when this is all over with that's what gets me through it there you go and uh and and you know what when you're coaching college hoops you'll be you'll be ready because those guys don't sleep at all as you certainly well know tim thank you so much my pleasure guys take care thank you tim legler how cool is that unbelievable yeah he's awesome like you said as good an analyst as he as he is a shooter i mean biggest takeaway from all that was what for you well I mean, I love this story. The bird story is incredible. Yeah, that was great. And 177 free throws in a row. I haven't done anything 177 (laughs) times in a row. Like if I get out of bed 177 days in a row. (laughs) Honorado and Bagnardi, uh, that was really cool to have Tim Legler with us. Uh, Definitely subscribe to the podcast here on iTunes. And check us out every Wednesday afternoon, 1215, on the 104.5 The Team ESPN Radio Facebook page. Um. He says Durant not to New York unless it's with somebody else. Yeah, and I told you I think he's probably going to stay. I think so too. Yeah, um, he likes Kawhi. Mm-hmm. Thinks Kawhi, how boring will it be, right? If Durant stays in Golden State, right? And as Tim said, he thinks Kawhi's best spot is to stay in Toronto. If those right. two guys stay, now we know Kyrie is in all likelihood leaving Boston. Now that they've been bounced from the postseason, right? So he then kind of becomes the crown jewel of free agency, doesn't he? He does, but is he by himself? I feel like a lot of people had kind of bunched him in, like Tim was talking about, as you know, going to go somewhere with somebody else. Now, maybe if you go to like team up with LeBron or something where somebody is already there, then you kind of get that anyway. But you know, so what? Like if he goes to LA and reteams up with LeBron, what does that do for them? They'll make the playoffs, obviously. They're not going to miss the playoffs again. Right, but if Durant stays with the Warriors, it's right, not good not. enough. Yeah, exactly. Not good enough. All right, very cool. Um, so how about that? A little Thursday on Arado and Bagnardi. Love it. Not just Wednesdays. Uh, look out for our video coming to Facebook soon. Driving Aaliyah Infinity, the QX60. Aaliyah Infinity, a proud sponsor here on Honorado and Bagnardi across all the platforms, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and right here on iTunes. We were in an infinity this morning. We were. Driving around. I'm seeing an awful lot of you today. It's, <laughs> it is too much already. Yeah. And our work at News Channel 13, there is more to come. But our thanks to Leah Infinity, uh, Route 9 in Latham in the Capital Region, uh, as well as Marcella's Appliance Center and Samsung. We've got a big week coming uh, next week on the 104.5 The Team ESPN Radio Facebook page. Thursday, another special Thursday edition next week. Mm-hmm. MLB Network. Brian Kenny. Boy, lining Studio up some host. big guests here. Yeah. Uh, he's he's big in the analytics of baseball, uh, believes in all kinds of saber metrics. Which you know I hate. So I cannot <laughs> wait yeah. for this clash of styles yep. between Sean and Brian Kenny, who's a little more educated on the topic. <laughs> I would think. <laughs> Thursday, 1215 on the ESPN Radio 104.5 The Team Facebook page. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. We'll see you on Facebook.